0: Um, The barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church.
1: What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? um, You're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects.
2: Welcome to The Magnificast, the podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean Detloff. And I'm Matt Bernico. And this week, we're kind of continuing a little bit what we were talking about last week with respect to atheism and Marxism and religion and how do you put these things together. But we found somebody else to help us do it (laughs) better or uh, to guide us through some of these ideas in a different way. uh, A really fascinating liberation theologian or sociologist adjacent to liberation theology named Otto Maduro, uh, a rare um, person, I think, in conversations these days about liberation theology, but a super fascinating guy. Uh, So we're going to dive into that with an article called the desacralization of Marxism within Latin American liberation theology. But before we get to that, Matt, what kind of housekeeping notes should we mention up front? I always forget to do it. And now I've suddenly decided we should pause, figure it out. (laughs)
0: Uh, Yeah, the big housekeeping note is that you should subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Magnificast go over there sweep the cobwebs right on out of there uh clean the toilets do all the housekeeping you need to do and you can give us a little bit of money uh for doing this podcast because uh podcasts while they are free for you they are not cheap and valueless (laughs) despite what you might think (laughs) um yeah i don't know if you want to give us some money that'd be cool um if you do give us some money you can get things like Access to our exclusive Discord channel. You can uh, get a cool sticker if you subscribe to uh, at the eleven dollar level. Um, all kinds of other things. Oh, you also get access to a behind the paywall podcast that Dean and I do called The Lock In, where we make jokes about youth group and answer Reddit questions and talk about current events. So there you go. So much, so much stuff. So much value that you get from our labor. <laughs> A ton of we'd love if you paid us for. (laughs) But if you can't, that's fine. No big deal. Don't feel stressed about it. You can just go to iTunes and or I'm sorry, it's called Apple Podcasts. Now, can you believe that?
2: Mm, The future is now
0: you can go. Yeah, the future is now you can go over there to Apple Podcasts. Give us a nice review. Say a nice thing about us. Give us some give us five stars. And and that's good, too. That's just as good as money. It's not. but It's pretty good. I'll take Um, it. Yeah, I would take it for sure. If it's if it's that or nothing. Please, yeah. Just give us a review.
2: As I've said in the show in the past, I think uh, every week I print off all those reviews and I do take them to the bank, and my banker says congratulations, <laughs> and that's fine enough for me. Um, all right, let's uh, let's get into this article, this essay that's really fascinating. So, over the last uh, few weeks, we've talked a little bit about the relationship between atheism, Marxism, and Christianity, and out of that discussion, we keep coming against a particular question which is what specifically can Christians bring to socialist movements or what can they do with Marxism or to Marxism. I think it's easier to uh, do it in the other way to say, what does Marxism do for or to Christianity? But uh, it's important to go the other direction, too. So if you've been listening along with us, you'll know that this is a hard thing to answer. So we're going to look at this article by Otto Maduro. And uh, if you're interested in reading it and following along, we can put a link to it in the show notes. But uh, it's a really fascinating piece, and hopefully it'll maybe get us to think of something a little bit new to add to this uh, this dialogue.
0: Yeah, totally. It is a very interesting article. Um, I feel like I have grasped something new just by reading it. So maybe you can too. Um, the big idea in the essay is that like, rather than... Um, taking up like Marxism as like a complete worldview that you just you accept whole cloth or whatever that um, the, the, the idea is that liberation theology gives Christians in Latin America very specifically Latin America in this essay the creative framework to use certain pieces of Marxism uh, Marxist analysis as a tool in the big the big toolbox that you have uh, while also rejecting some of the orthodox positions uh, central to Marxist parties and organizations so, um liberation theology becomes this like uh yeah, this tool for or I mean a hermeneutic to read Marxism and to read the world and to read Christianity. And it's a really pretty it's a pretty good take. I'm really interested in it. And uh it'll be cool to talk talk about it more. Um so like I said a minute ago, Madero's essay is like squarely within the context of Latin America in the nineteen eighties. So obviously things look quite different now. Um in Latin America for sure, in North America in 2021. Yep, it's all pretty different. So um you have to kind of take that into consideration as we talk through it. But reading the essay does give you a sense of uh, the another world that is possible out there for Christianity and politics. Um, it's a cool read uh, in that light, too. So we'll talk through some of those big ideas in the essay and then we'll reflect on them a bit and, uh, you know, see what they might mean for us in 2021 in North America. And uh, yeah, we'll get to it. So, Dean, where should we jump into the essay? Uh,
2: let's start actually on the very
0: ground floor.
2: I just It occurred to me that you know this essay is very interesting to us. We found it kind of, I don't know, in the big pile of liberation theology things that we have laying around <laughs> um, and pulled it out of there. But it might be worth uh, taking just a quick second to orient ourselves here in that context too. Um, I should mention too, if you don't know already, if you haven't heard about it, uh, there's a great podcast called the Liberation Theology Podcast by uh, David Entroskis, a Jesuit. He's been on our show before in the past, and uh, he does a great job. So if you're interested in learning more about that tradition in particular, you should check out his podcast. We love it. It's very cool and very fun. Um, Sorry we're uh, stepping on your toes here, David, (laughs) if you're out there listening, (laughs) but we're going to do our best to uh, try to uh, dig something out of this text. Um, I think liberation theology, I mean, we talk about it on the show a lot, but it is important to sort of pause and figure it out for a quick second. It's a lot of things. It's really diverse. It does not have the same relationship to Marxism, uh, all across the, the wide spans of that tradition, both geographically and chronologically, right? So like different authors have different opinions about Marxism, different countries have different kinds of opportunities maybe for Christians and Marxists to figure it out in Latin America, um, So it's important to keep that in mind, too. I mean, when we're talking about liberation theology in Latin America and Marxism, um, we have to kind of resist the temptation to kind of collapse these things as like, well, you've got these, you know, the peanut butter on the one side and the chocolate on the other. And somehow they always make the same old Reese's peanut butter cup. It's not not like that. Um, I can't think of a better analogy, but I'm sure you can, dear listener. Uh, In any case, uh, I think uh, what I love about this essay is Adam Maduro does, though, try to kind of figure out, all right, even taking that diversity into consideration, what is it about the way these two things kind of interact in that diversity, in that plurality, that sheds a little bit of light on uh, both the the cultures of Latin America and what it means to think through an experience of oppression and give voice to that in a religious register, and also uh, what it means to sort of... um, See how Marxism does or doesn't find ways of being attentive to that voice in that that kind of register. So I appreciate that the most about this essay. So all that to say, I guess the way I'm situating this essay is to um, say that liberation theology has this this really wonderful diversity to it, but we can sort of take it as a whole in some respects, insofar as it, it does these things or reveals these certain things about the Marxist tradition. Does that seem fair, Matt, as a way of <laughs> arguing for why it's important to think about this essay?
0: Yeah, I think that's a pretty good way to start us off, at least. You know, I was thinking about it as you're talking. Um When people talk about liberation theology, especially conservatives, they're always like, well, it's the it's uh, it's it's religious people sne- sneaking Marxism into religion or whatever. And in this essay, you get kind of the kind of a different take on it, right? It's not a uh, it's not people sneaking Marxism into Christianity. It's like religious people plundering Marxism for all of the good stuff and then just kind of kicking the rest of it to the curb. It's like, uh, it's just, it's just such an interesting thing because uh, this essay shows us that liberation theology ends up being this very flexible, adaptive and creative outlet that religious people kind of came up with. And uh, they took the best, uh, the best of Marxism and uh, in a very interesting way, it's just, it shows you kind of how complicated the, the discourses can be um, Mm -hmm. in a good way. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, let's dive into it um, with one of my favorite things, uh, a great term or turn of phrase that Maduro talks about. So let's waste no time, get into this essay. Uh, Right off the bat, Maduro gives us this concept that he calls a desatanization, which is a great term. So he says Latin American liberation theology has produced a desatanization of Marxism. What I want to suggest is that despite, besides, behind, beyond, and over against such influence, presence, and coincidence, there is also within Latin American liberation theology an underlying, ongoing, growing process of critique and rejection of tenets of Marxism held as central by most Marxist texts, leaders, and parties in Latin America So way too many prepositions in here, but don't worry, (laughs) we'll we'll, we'll parse it out. Um, The two key things, I think, in this passage that help me think about this relationship, at least, is that the desatanization, first of all, says that Marxism is not the great enemy to be feared, right? That it's it's not the adversary out to get you. And secondly, though, in that desatanization, it's not to say that, and then the church or liberation theology just becomes Marxist. Uh, But rather by not making it an adversary and making it sort of a dialogue partner, it ends up sort of um, having this really unique and creative relationship to the Marxist tradition, where, as you were just saying, Matt, like they sort of are are able to take parts of it that they want or, or plunder it and then kind of you know, kick the rest of it that they don't want or need. For better or worse, I should say. Sometimes I think they do a good job of kicking out the stuff that shouldn't be there. And other times I'm like, eh, maybe you should look twice <laughs> at that. Yeah. But uh yeah. nevertheless, it's a good way of of describing that relationship, I think.
0: Yeah, that's right. So that's desatanization on one hand, making it, you know, not a scary thing. And then the other hand, uh the other term that is introduced here is the desacralization. So that Marxist Orthodoxy is not like the end all and be all of uh of Marxism or or what it needs to be, right? Like there's there's more there to be done uh, beyond what, you know, whatever academics are writing about Marxism. So these these two moves are kind of happening at the very beginning of the essay. Um, So after after that, after these two moves, uh, uh, Maduro says this. My contention is precisely that Latin American liberation theology has unconsciously exercised an apparently free, almost haphazard plundering of the Marxist traditions taking from it expressions, symbols, modes of organization, thought and behavior in ways that vary from one country, region, group, author and period to another. So again, um, this is uh, this is the desacralization move that uh, listen. Marxism is great. It's <laughs> we, we love it. It's uh, it's a great way to think about the world. It's a great way to think about power. Um, if you want to organize against the powers that be, Marxism is going to be something really helpful that will tell you what to do. Um, but at the same time it is not that a moral science that has every single answer to every single problem um, and you know some things uh, just won't work in some other situations um, I mean especially I mean the rub the rub between Marxism and religion is something that we've already talked about quite a bit right the uh, especially with around the question of atheism um there are there are problems there are tensions and um, liberation theology has uh, a certain um, I don't know, comportments about it that like lets it take some things and reject other things and kind of finds creative ways to do that.
2: Yeah, I like to that uh, language of it having almost a haphazard relationship to Marxist traditions. I mean, yeah. if you pick up a book by a liberation theologian and you read just for the the Marxist stuff, which is how I typically read liberation theology texts as a researcher, at, le- at least just trying to figure out, you know, where do things like socialism and Marxism pop up in a, a book by Boff or Gutierrez or whoever. One thing that at least I'm always struck by is that there's a real comfortability to quote a number of Marxist theorists all in kind of the same you know page sometimes that other yeah. Marxists probably wouldn't do. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's this kind of the, the sectarian divisions that you sometimes get in Marxism, sort of melt away because the liberation theologians are interested in, you know, what's on offer across the, the tradition, rather than saying, well, we're just going to sign up with, I don't know, the Maoists or the revisionists or whatever it might be. Um, I always think about that when I think of like Paulo Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed, which I think is kind of in vogue now, again, which is really great to see. Um, Freire is like quoting all kinds of people, right? He's quoting popes, he's quoting encyclicals. But he's also quoting Mao, Lenin and Che and kind of just like not interested at all in like figuring out which one you should go read the most or something. Um, So there's a real uh, value to that approach. And I think a lot of Marxists have that approach, especially nowadays, too. Um, But uh, liberation theology does it in a particular way.
0: Yeah, that's right. You know, on the one hand, it's like a definite strength where you can uh, you can pick and choose a little bit. You can play fast and loose with some of these folks. And that's like that can be really good, especially, um, I don't know, in diverse situations where you need a lot of different ways of thinking at once. Uh, on the other hand, I mean, there are certain drawbacks too, right? like um, the, the reason that that orthodox Marxism, like Marxism, Leninism or whatever is popular is because it does provide a real way forward. And sometimes liberation theology doesn't take that way uh, for better, or for worse, too.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. And it's an important thing to mention. I mean, uh, sometimes when you read liberation theologians, because they are sort of beset on all sides by people who are, you know, in some cases trying to not just discipline them, but kill them right in the history mm-hmm. of Latin America, um, there's good reason for them to make distinctions and say, look, we're not Marxists um, on this at that point, or even we wouldn't identify as Marxists at all. Uh, and it's not to say that it's just opportunist. I don't think they're doing it just because it's cowardly or anything. I don't mean to imply that, but I guess what I mean is, uh, there are, um, both political and kind of theological or doctrinal reasons to kind of make the lines a little sharper or, or more bold that can sometimes also maybe prevent liberation theologians from wanting to get too close to Marxism on this at that point. Um, I mean, you could cite a bunch of texts maybe where this happens, but, I think, you know, we always talk about people like Ernesto Cardinal on this podcast because he has sort of a unique approach here, right, where he'll uh, borrow from all kinds of Marxist literature and kind of argue for a really strong synthesis. But I think one thing that attracts me to Cardinal as a unique voice among liberation theologians generally is he's somebody who uh, uh, identified as a Marxist explicitly and then tried to put that into practice in the power of being in government, right, whereas uh mm-hmm other liberation theologians are totally willing to borrow from Marx when it comes to understanding the structure of, uh, you know, class relations under capitalism, but maybe uh, don't want to borrow from Marx when it comes to, I don't know, re-envisioning the, the economy, or perhaps they kind of soften Marxism and become a bit more of uh, a social democrat type. Um, and again, it's hard to sort of say this with Generalizations, because everyone is so different. But I, th- I guess all that to say is I agree with you, Matt.
0: <laughs> Sometimes
2: uh, it's a liability to to uh, yeah maybe hold Marxism at an arm's length.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, like I get it. I think I get it from both directions, right? <laughs> yeah. Like on the one hand, there are things in Marxism that you you should definitely resist. Like uh, there are things that are that don't always work out that are not good. I mean, Marxism, like other sort of philosophical uh, systems and Political theories—they have their—they have their own failures, and you should resist those. On the other hand, there's a lot of successes too. So it's just like mm-hmm. it is sort of a mixed bag. In liberation theology, at least as we see it, kind of interacting with Marxism, this is is really interesting. It's framed as uh, it's framed as something that I think ends up being more powerful than Marxism in some ways. Um, Maduro, you know, kind of talks talks up his strengths a lot. And that's good. I mean, Maduro's going to give us a lot of that in this essay. So it's good to keep in, in mind, though, where it kind of falls short. And uh, we can keep pulling those things out. Well, mm-hmm. on this point, let me read this next, this next quote here. And we can kind of keep talking about it. So Maduro says, I find that Marxism has become a tool within Latin, Latin American liberation theology. Certain church groups, individuals with no actual affiliation, loyalty, or allegiance to any properly traditional Marxist agency resort to the symbolic arsenal of Marxism, picking and choosing what seems to further their own, not the Marxists, Intra and extra church strategies, regardless. And I think this is uh, the key to assess these processes of what the traditional, properly Marxist agencies uh, can do. So, the, the idea here is exactly what we're saying, right? The liberation theology in Latin America during this time allows um, church groups, individuals, Christian based communities, you know, all of these kind of folks to pick up pieces of Marxism, to use them. But like sometimes symbolically, sometimes analytically, sometimes politically. But it's uh, it's it's not necessarily in the best interest of Marx Marxists that they're doing this. It's not necessarily to like even do like Marxist politics. So you can kind of see that tension, right? Like where on the one hand, this is very interesting and good. It's a way that people um, through liberation theology are understanding the world in a a more deep way. Uh, But also it's it's not like um, it's not like, you know, actually always engaged in like a struggle against capitalism or if they are you know it might not look the same way it would for marxists there's just a lot of a lot of wiggle room here a lot of sort of like play and i think that's interesting and like we've been saying this this time here uh sometimes uh sometimes a benefit and sometimes to to his own detriment
2: Mm -hmm. yeah one thing to add here too um thinking about another person who draws uh, a sort of sociological analysis of liberation theology into uh, his study is a guy named Michael Lowy, who we've talked about on the show before. He's a Brazilian Marxist theorist. Uh, He has this book called the war of gods, where uh, he makes a distinction between what he calls liberation theology and liberationist Christianity. And Maduro doesn't seem to have that same distinction working here, or at least uh, it doesn't show up the same way, but it's useful because what Loe is trying to do is say there's a kind of formalized theological community, let's say, right, like um people who are theologians, people who write books and uh think very hard about all this stuff, and they they formalize it in the academy or in in ecclesial structures, whatever it might be it's it's it has a sort of identifiable relationship to professional theology. Um, And I think as far as that goes, uh, Maduro is totally right that liberation Mm -hmm. theologians do sort of uh, have this kind of free associative relationship to Marxism um, for better and for worse. Uh, But liberationist Christianity actually has an even more complicated relationship because Loewy is always saying you have the theologians codifying things on the one hand, but you also have this much bigger kind of mass of Christians who are just out there in the world on the other hand and uh, Mm -hmm. the theologians are sort of being attentive to that, but, you know, not necessarily the spokespeople of it. And in that respect, too, it's like, well, there are actually quite a lot of Christians who do end up having quite a lot of affiliation, loyalty, or allegiance to, you know, traditional Marxist parties, Um, and it's important not to lose sight of that. So I think uh, when we hear Maduro say things like the the theologians are maybe not uh, totally tied to a party apparatus, that is true, but that's not to say that there aren't you know, some other forms of kind of liberationist Christianity that are uh not floating around in those apparatuses as
0: well. Yeah, that's right. It's a it's a good reminder. Just again, the situation is so complex. Um yeah. that we can we can find, you know, exception to a lot of these things.
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, but nevertheless, not to take away from the inside, I think it's very good. It's just like you wouldn't want to go away with the impression that, oh, there just aren't Marxists and communist parties in whatever Brazil or something.
1: <laughs> right. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, well, uh, kind of maybe picking up on some threads we were talking about last uh, in the last episode on atheism, I think that this is where Maduro's essay actually really helps, is where he's trying to figure out kind of what Marxism's blind spots might be that liberation theology challenges or um, shows or reveals, and one of them is definitely with respect to uh, the inferiority of religion or perceived inferiority. Uh, So, for example, Maduro says, Marxism, as it is predominantly understood by most Marxist organizations, authors, and leaders in Latin America, views religion as intellectually and historically inferior to other forms of human knowledge and action. Science and atheism, economics, and politics are in turn perceived by Marxism as superior to uh, superseding, excluding, and disproving religion. The theory and practice of liberation theology, it seems to me, is developing explicitly counter to this traditional Marxist contention. And uh, he could probably drop the it seems to me (laughs) very clearly (laughs) liberation theology is definitely definitely uh, not accepting that. Right. It's uh, uh, I don't think you could say that always theology supplants all those other things. It's not like saying it's the true queen of the sciences or something, but um, obviously it's arguing for and presenting a much more complicated and robust expression of religion in what it means to struggle as a people, uh, or to struggle against uh, oppression. And I think Maduro, this is really where the essay shines. So we can maybe find some more places that we want to talk about that that point in the the text.
0: Yeah, that's right. You know, this is, um, I mean, this is really similar, I think, to a point that we made last week, too, about the, um, you know, about uh, one thing that Christianity does let you do, or if you pay attention to Christians, or if you kind of you know, make a space for them in uh, socialist movements or whatever. It does give you a way to uh, talk the talk uh, of people who are not, you know, Marxists, uh, you know, who might be uh, more working class or whatever than people who have read a lot of, you know, who've read all of Capital or something. Not that mm-hmm. people who are working class can't, but just saying that, you know, it's the it's the read theory debate all over again, I guess. Uh, people who have uh, read all the theory in the world um, more likely are are not necessarily working class, but not always. OK. Whatever. The point is, though, um, that uh, Christianity or religion in general, I guess, but Christianity in our specific instance can let you speak a language that is, um, you know, more accessible to uh, people on the ground, people in, you know, struggling in their workplaces and so on. This is uh, another point that uh, Maduro brings up kind of an interesting way. He says uh, such a Marxist assessment of religion, the one where it's inferior. That's what he's talking about is increasingly perceived by Latin American liberation theology as a typical, albeit unconscious, white male urban intellectual middle class ideology. So, uh, you know, this is kind of the point that we were we were making, though, um, that sometimes Marxism can come off a little too like high minded or it can become it come off as like, you know, this is a, a way of thinking for people who went to college or whatever uh and it's might be detached from the the way people of lower socioeconomic status might be thinking or talking or believing or something so uh Christianity gives you a way of uh you know a, an access to that or something and uh this is exactly what Maduro is saying is that uh sometimes the marxist assessment of religion that kind of writes it off as something that's just superstition or whatever um yeah it it uh it comes off as Uh, elitist or of uh, a classist in some ways, which is, I think, a a really interesting point worth drawing out time and time again. Um, (laughs) It's such a it's such an interesting thing because um, this is probably still something true for people in the United States, but it is very different. Um, You know, rather than rather than people who are like working class in the United States, um, having some kind of familiarity with uh, Catholicism or whatever, you know, maybe maybe the the language that that Marxist or leftist speak is uh, something more evangelical or something. I I don't know, but uh, it's definitely a different a different context.
2: Yeah, it is a different context for sure. But important too to see what is being said, I guess, in a or what's being revealed in a more general way from that context as well. Like uh one thing Maduro goes on to say that kind of reinforces the bit by Cornell West that we were talking about in the last episode. He says, religion is experienced as the traditional environment, as it were, of the life of the oppressed. And it is also from within religion, with the challenges, tensions, and changes that are inevitable in such efforts, that takes place the struggle against oppression. And he goes on to add, what liberation theology is often doing is precisely fostering and reinforcing the religious creativity, initiative, and autonomy of the oppressed, thereby contributing to empower them symbolically and materially in their struggle against oppression. And I think that's an important piece of this, too, that like in Latin America, where you might have kind of a a thickly Catholic uh, society or even uh, underneath that, right, uh, surviving indigenous practices or thriving indigenous practices or, uh, um, I don't know, Afro-Caribbean religious expressions, for example, lots of other stuff going on. uh, Marxism has a hard time actually metabolizing that stuff uh, without sort of I don't know, secretly, or like behind closed doors, poking fun at it, or, you know, disrespecting it in in some kind of way. And I think Maduro is saying, well, liberation theology actually gives us a way of affirming the the cultures of the oppressed, when those cultures might not fit so neatly into the kind of European enlightenment tradition that Marxism develops out of. Um, So that's really obvious in Latin America. But I think you could see it in a place like the US or Canada in different ways. I mean. Obviously, all these things are contextual, um, so it's not like you can create a general rule. But I think a lot about, like, I don't know, uh, ways that people speak religious language in the South, obviously, is is probably the thing that most, most people are attentive to. But even in places like Appalachia or uh, obviously in the black church and lots of other kinds of uh, socio. Um, religious identities i guess that are really strong for people uh marxism also just has a hard time kind of metabolizing that stuff and getting it on its own terms so uh written in latin america for sure with all of the the cultural stuff going on there but uh applicable anywhere i guess oppressed people are kind of making their own culture
0: yeah i think that's right um that kind of brings us up to the next point, though, uh, where liberation theology. OK, it, it's not only a language that you can affirm to speak about oppression in, uh in sort of a different register than just Marxism, but uh, Maduro also sees it as something like kind of more than that. Uh, so it's not just about analysis or whatever, but it's about like the creativity of people mm-hmm. uh, naming their situation, telling their story, talking about the future, you know, that kind of thing. Um, all of the kind of stuff that, you know, like the the mass, the mass poetry classes of Nicaragua would try to do or something <laughs> like that. Right. Um, so he says this liberation theology is one among many channels through which subaltern classes from Latin America attempt to express, communicate, interrelate, develop, strengthen and consolidate the culture of their own. So, I mean, this is, uh, you know, Marxism has had. Well, OK, how about this? I was talking about the failures of Marxism earlier on, and like when it comes to culture building, uh, Marxism has not had only successes. <laughs> in fact, it's had a lot of uh, what you might call not successes or otherwise failures. Like um, in 2021, we all love socialist realism. It's very cool to see what it, you know, the way it shaped up or whatever. Uh but largely like having the government dictate like what art should look like or having like sort of like governmental approval on uh, public art is like I don't know. It has some problems, it had a lot of problems with the uh with the censuring of artists, the censuring of certain types of expression that just didn't work out so well to say the very least. Um go read uh Boris Groy's the the uh uh she what's the book called? The Total Artistm. The, the Total Aristotleism, thank you. You can learn more about it, how it didn't work. Um, some of the interesting things about it. it, it all that to say that like um, uh, a, the, the a top down and sort of bureaucratic uh, mode to building culture is not necessarily the best way to do it. And liberation theology, I think, is a is good proof positive to the contrary. Right. The way that people from the bottom up uh, might talk about themselves uh, in their own language, but still addressing, I think, like the actual concerns that Marxists might bring up.
2: Yeah, well, you mentioned the poetry workshops in Nicaragua. I think that's actually a really good um, way of of uh, marking the difference here a bit. You know, one of the things that I find so fascinating about the Sandinista experiment is that it it would be wrong to say that the Sandinista government just was liberation theology in power. Sometimes people talk right. about it that way. That is wrong. I think. But yep. <laughs> I think that you can say, though, that it is very, very clearly a, revol- a revolution that is shot through with liberation theology that is unthinkable without the contributions of liberation theology. And the arts are, are probably one of the biggest places where that's the most obvious, given that Cardinal had the, you know, the reins, basically, when it came to uh, the artistic development of the country as minister of culture. And this is somebody who, as a priest, is thinking very carefully about how to cultivate a certain artistic consciousness. And, uh, I mean, we've talked about this a long time ago on the show, but uh, there are some interviews with Cardinal where he himself is asked questions about socialist realism and other kinds of things. And he basically says, "Ah, I don't know, look, like that's what they're doing, I guess. But that's just like not going to work here. Like, it's not going to work in Nicaragua. People don't want that. They are not going to make it. And I don't really want them to. I just want them to find a way of expressing what they want to express. And, you know, I think that that is a a real, it's part of Cardinal's own experience as an artist, of course. But I think it's also part of uh, basically what Maduro was saying, that liberation theology has this sense that, We need to be able to find a way to empower oppressed peoples to find their own language, their own means of expression. And liberation theology itself is one of those means of expression. So uh, it's cool to kind of read the theological tradition in that kind of vein of being, I don't know, a uh, uh, a creative output, I guess, of oppressed peoples.
0: Yeah, I think so. It's definitely Uh, I mean, that's not the first thing that came to mind, I think, when I think of liberation theology. But I think it's very interesting to see it read through that lens here. Uh, it's a pretty good case. I, I'm i really, I think, won over by it now. Now that I'm seeing it put together in this particular, <laughs> particular way, I think it's pretty good. Well, OK, one more uh, one more blurb on this point, maybe from Maduro. He says, to begin with, most Marxist groups tend to assume Western written academic prose as the paradigm for cultural expression relegating other forms of cultural expression more familiar to the oppressed classes, especially in the third world, like music, poetry and storytelling and religion to a secondary place. Um, I mean, this is kind of what we're saying, uh, just uh, really explicitly here uh, in in academia. I mean, in, in the West, in, in North America, you know. Um, when it comes to like what it means to know something, uh, what it means to know something is to collect data, to know it through sort of scientific means to uh, write a paper about it, to get it peer-reviewed, or whatever, or, you know, some such thing. That's, like, academic knowledge. Um, and, like, I, I think that a lot of Marxism is kind of filtered through that particular lens, the academic lens, and that is too bad. <laughs> um, so I think that this this correction that liberation theology might give uh, is a really good one, one that people should really pay attention to a lot more, that storytelling, that art, that culture expression is really important, probably uh, just as, if not more than, you know, writing a big, big treatise about, I don't know, however dialectics work or something. <laughs> uh, pay, I mean, paying it, like that that's the thing about Marxism, that I think um, sometimes evades us, right? That uh, Marxism is about like the ways that the material conditions that we might live in force us to think about the world and like force us to, you know, critique it and come up against it and stuff. So it's not just that uh, it, that's going to happen, whether you're you're writing an academic treatise on Hegel or whatever, or if you're like in the thick of it, uh, you know, you're a worker in the field or something or in a factory like you're going to end up, you know, with these thoughts just because of the ways that you're forced to think them. <laughs> you know, you're forced to think like, why is it that I'm working here? Why is it that my boss gets this much money and I don't or whatever? Why is it that the uh, the relations of labor are as such? Um, And, uh, you know, it's important to think that just because you can't write a treatise about it uh, and get it published in some journal that, you know, your your expression, your experience, your story is still like important and worth telling. I think that's a really good lesson that you can at least take away from this.
2: Yeah, I will say a little bit in defense of Marxism, though. um, I think that I, I mean, this essay comes from a particular context, so it could just be that I'm missing that myself and maybe not seeing the kind of Marxism that Maduro is engaged with, but at least in my own experience as a person who was born after this essay was written (laughs) and uh, in a very different part of the world, I guess I've always encountered Marxism first and foremost through cultural products actually. And then kind of only secondarily really later on in a a more analytic way, you know, like listening to, I don't know, Marxist music or uh, seeing a film that has a certain Marxist critique. I guess it's true that like, I can't really point to a Communist Party film that was made in whatever, you know, like after the 60s, that was really compelling or something. But uh, nevertheless, I guess, you know, th- there's a whole kind of range of like poetry and theater and artistic works that that do have uh, value in the Marxist tradition. Um, but nevertheless, uh, you know, like uh, that Cornell West point that we talked about last time uh, says, at the end of the day, it took a long time for Marxists to come around to the idea that culture had a lot of meaningful things to say. Um, And then for whatever reason, a lot of those same Marxists didn't really get around to considering religion as part of that complicated cultural domain like literature or film or poetry. So I think that's a fair point for sure. But I don't know, I guess I maybe maybe it's just uh, striking my Marxist side a little too sensitively. But (laughs) I'm just like, but I know all these cool Marxist poets. So I don't know, man.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's I mean, that's true. Um, I think I think what you're saying is right. I mean, I, I a lot of those things are I, OK. I mean, there are, are plenty of great Marxist poets from Latin America, Um, you know, but in the United States, you know, we have all these great songs, like all of like the good labor songs that have this like sort of good uh, Marxist logic to them. Those are great uh, for sure. But like, you know, when you get in the thick of organizing, though, and there's like that one nerd that pipes up about like <laughs> whatever, whatever extremely in the weeds, Marxist point. Um, and they like devalue. I don't know the experiences of real people. Mm-hmm. It happens. Mm-hmm. I guess is all I'm trying to say. For sure, for sure. Uh, Marxism uh, has definitely uh, cultural value and has done things. I don't want to write it off. I guess uh, you're you're right. On the other hand, um, it does have a tendency to like overwrite the, override the importance of uh other things. That's true. Like yeah. cultural knowledges and stuff, and stuff. But I don't know. There's a there's some nuance there to it, for sure. Um, before we like, I, I mean, we can kind of come to the conclusion here of the essay in a minute and we can talk about it. I, I guess there's one more piece to maybe draw out too, um, that I think is kind of interesting in the essay. So um, Maduro, you know, he's laying out all of these different ways that liberation theology like takes some some things from Marxism, but ultimately kind of surpasses Marxism in some ways as well, like it being sort of a a language of of the oppressed and and so on. But there's this other thing that he brings up that I think is quite interesting that's probably worth talking about. So um, I'll read a little bit of it here. Uh, so he says that a large part of the efforts of Latin American liberation theology and of Christian based communities, especially seems to me to be focusing on the critique of authoritarian institutions and methods, um, including those present in churches in the first place and on the development of alternative solutions. So part of what's going on here, too, is that not only does liberation theology, you know, just take the stuff it wants from Marxism and kind of, you know, does what it will, what it will with the rest. He's also saying, too, that Latin American liberation theology and the the movement of Christian based communities, that whole thing is also exercises uh, a certain type of suspicion and criticism towards the authoritarian institutions that you might recognize or, you, you know, you might associate with uh Certain types of Marxist parties or organs or whatever, like an orth- an Orthodox like Stalinism or something, they're suspicious of that kind of thing, and you know probably for the best. But uh, it is kind of an interesting thing that he works through. So uh, throughout this section of the essay, he uh, he mentions some of the alternative solutions that uh, that liberation theology kind of picks up in response to the um, the the perhaps authoritarianness of some of some Marxists. And he says that they mostly rely on Freire's pedagogy of the oppressed, interestingly enough, which is, I mean, mm-hmm. cool. So he he says that um, the uh, they can be characterized along along the lines of a few traits, and he kind of talks through each of them. But the traits that he mentions are horizontality, the encourage participate encourage participation of uh, you know people, members, constituencies, whatever, shared leadership, and critical reflection. So um, it is important to recognize here too that that in Christian based communities in the uh, in, in in some communities, the liberation theology, um, one of the things that they are definitely rejecting are certain types of Marxist formations, like uh, of like democratic centralism in in some cases, in some cases, I guess probably not Um, again, like, you know, there is, there are Christians in the party and, and other things like that going on too. But um, this is like a, a gloss he's making about liberation theology overall.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate it, too, because uh, there's another point he just makes broadly about how um, if there's a sort of resistance to the presence of pluralism or diversity uh, on the part of Marxism, when it comes to thinking about struggles on the ground, that, too, is kind of another way of oppressing oppressed peoples by denying people the ability to, to have that kind of expression. And so the the resistance to the authoritarian impulses, whether they're found in the Catholic Church or whether they're found in certain Marxist circles, let's say, uh, that in itself is part of a, a broader resistance to you know the feeling and experience of being oppressed anyway. And I think that is really fascinating to kind of see how liberation theology, which you know in a technical sense is obviously genealogically related to the colonization of the Americas. Uh, right. Nevertheless, it gets kind of retooled or fashioned into a weapon against uh, those kinds of structures, um, always in process, obviously, and never perfectly, but in ways that kind of uh, do become, you know, uniquely creative projects of that particular part of the world. And uh, that's a strength of the SA too, of just being like, you know, um, Marxism has its its thing to say and liberation theologians want it as far as they think it's good. Uh, in the same way the church has its things to say <laughs> and liberation theologians take that as long as it's good too, and sometimes they, you know, heckle the Pope at a mass in Managua or something instead. <laughs> so <laughs> it's uh it's interesting to kind of keep seeing liberation theology as this really um uh flowering, kind of blooming uh moment that belongs to uh certain peoples in certain times. I think that that's something that this essay has sort of crystallized for me at least.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. You know, uh, another place in the essay. I'm going to just keep keep going to quote the essay uh, parts <laughs> that we didn't that didn't make it into the notes, but I'm pulling. I'm going to pull out now. Uh, th- this is along the same lines, or it's kind of driving the point home, maybe a little bit more. Uh, Maduro says that it seems to me. Uh, oh, hang on. Maduro says the deconstruction of Marxism as a whole that has to be accepted or rejected in its entirety. Uh, An example, the deconstruction of Marxism, either as a sacred or a satanic whole, is a novelty indeed for both Marxists and anti-Marxists. So, I mean, Maduro sees liberation theology as as like, I mean, I I don't know exactly what he means by the phrase deconstruction in this context, because in philosophy and sociology, it's a very loaded term that means a whole lot of things at once. But just the same, like uh, liberation theology offers a sort of challenge to Marxism. Um, that, you know, it does take it apart in certain ways and does reconstruct it in others. Um, and the whole uh, is not whole, <laughs> which is very complicated <laughs> in all of this, but maybe a, a good way to to kind of summarize a lot of the, uh, the ways that liberation theology uh, takes and plays with and repurposes Marxism while rejecting other pieces of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, in a weird way, it sort of does what I've always found useful as a Christian engaging Marxism, which is to say Marxism doesn't take the church's story that it tells about itself for granted, but tries to pull it apart and kind of see what's going on. Right. So it discovers that the whole of the, the history of Christianity, let's say is not the whole, right. That um, there's all kinds of class struggles happening within the church, that the church finds itself kind of cut up along all these different lines. And in fact, Marxism even sometimes appropriates uh, parts of Christianity for itself or in its own kind of telling of the history of the liberation of human beings. Um, and so I think that's really fascinating as well to kind of see that what I've valued as a Christian so much about Marxism, which is precisely the kind of breaking up of um, a certain naive understanding of Christianity. Uh, liberation theology sort of does that for Marxism in the opposite direction, which is something mm-hmm. that I don't think I would have thought about really without reading this essay. So, uh, yeah, a super unique, very cool point.
0: Yeah, it's a really good way to put it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I like, really appreciate it. Um, I I mean when it comes to Marxism, I've always been a person that's just kind of been piecing it all together. I think that, um, I, you know, I started out reading Marx, but then I like read a lot of like the like French Marxists and Italian Marxists. Uh, you know, into the, like the seventies, influenced by postmodernism, and I feel like, um. I mean, I don't want to like equate the two movements in any ways because they're not like the the sort of like postmodernist uh, philosophy of uh, application to Marxism and then also what liberation theology is doing. Mm-hmm. They're not the same thing whatsoever, but they are calling out sort of something similar in that like um, Marxism is a construction. Uh, you know, like the orthodoxy of Marxism is a construction, and uh, to, to treat it too seriously might be counter. Uh, it might go counter to actually doing the politics you need to do um, in any kind of given situation. Uh, So to treat it maybe more fluidly and in a more relaxed way makes a lot of sense.
2: Mm -hmm. I think so. Um, Maybe uh, as we get toward the end here, it might be good to, to just sort of reaffirm that one thing about Marxism that's also important and something that I think postmodernism helped to figure out is that Marxism is itself a, a plural thing. As I said at the beginning of the episode, and I think one thing that's also cool of maybe, maybe this is just the benefit of reflecting on Marxism from the vantage point of like the 21st century, but mm-hmm. <laughs> Marxism, you know, it's true. It, it has had all these kind of dogmatic moments, and it's had multiple dogmatic moments, right? Uh, the Sino-Soviet split, <laughs> for instance, um, where you have to sort of choose which uh, dogmatic interpretation you really want. Um, but nevertheless, I think even uh, the kind of communist movements that have emerged out of those experiences, too. You know, I'm thinking about, like, the uh, the Muscovite parties that still exist in uh, places like Canada and the U.S., but around the world, too. Uh, you know, you might think of, like, Chile, for example, where the communists just won a ton of seats across the government and are going to participate in rewriting the Constitution. Um, communism itself is in this process of change and development, and it it is a, a dynamic process, and I think you know, there's something very 20th century about assuming that ideologies are kind of neatly packed together, whether you're a Marxist or a Catholic or some other kind of person. And, you know, one thing that is kind of nice about the 21st century is I can think of so many Marxists that I think have already kind of learned the lessons that Maduro is uh, is saying that liberation theology is kind of trying to teach. And they may not have learned it from liberation theology, of course, but uh, that kind of taking for granted of the fact that, look, you know, Marxism is unique and it does offer strategies that do win and have won and have proven themselves in the struggle in in ways that other ideologies have not. Uh, But at the same time, um, you know, you can sort of take those things on board without taking on board, let's say, the particular brand of atheism that you find in Lenin or somebody else. So I think that's really neat, too, to kind of reflect on the fact that Marxism has um, been able to uh, also relate to itself in a more creative way picking up and putting down um what works and what isn't not always of course (laughs) you can find all kinds of marxists that haven't done that but (laughs) i think uh it's nice to know that there are actually a lot of communists these days who are um already doing that kind of work
0: yeah that's right um we're coming off as a very pro revisionist podcast (laughs) and i gotta tell you i'm actually very comfortable with that um (laughs) i think that's fine uh I don't know, I I think that this piece specifically, I mean, it it goes to show you the the power of revision, (laughs) you know, not not in the uh, not in the sense of like um, different, (laughs) different dogmatic readings of Marxism, but about the flexibility of um, uh, of letting people speak in a way that makes sense to them, while also like, uh, you know, like working to to defeat capitalism right <laughs> these two things they can go together and uh, uh to, to be dogmatic i think ends up being a detriment yeah but i'll it's, say in some ways in some ways it's good right the critique yeah, yeah. the analysis is good i guess just like <laughs> but but making sure people can speak and add their own their own uh their own context and situation is it's important the the type of revision is important to this
2: yes yes exactly yeah that's what i was gonna add i guess you know before before we get all the angry emails about uh being dirty revisionists um the uh you know like i still consider myself a person who has understood marxism through the lens of leninist people and leninist states and all that kind of stuff and i really have valued that and what i've learned from those exchanges and understandings and meeting Mm -hmm. those people reading those texts and so on Um, so in in that sense, it's like, I wouldn't be a revisionist in the kind of, uh, I don't know, social Democrat sense where it's like, ah, well, you know, Mark said a a few good things, but at the end of the day, sometimes you just got to accept the market here or there. Um, but I would be a revisionist insofar as I would not cling to, I don't know, I wouldn't hang on every single word of Joseph Stalin by any stretch if I was going to try to think carefully about how to actually be a a politically effective and a good person in the world. And I think that is also very important, (laughs) whether you're interested in liberation theology or communism or otherwise, you know, it's important to admit that, look, there's no such thing as a uh, totally unified and and clean uh, scientific whole when it comes to uh, putting together a political ideology. And uh, we it benefits us to just embrace that problem and kind of keep working on it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think so. You know, we on the, in the past, we've talked so much about um, uh, in Christianity. You have to take it all right. You can't just you can't just say, well, these parts aren't Christian or whatever, or these parts don't count you have to take it all and metabolize it and kind of figure out what to do with it. And uh, Marxism is the same way. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the struggle against capitalism, communism, it's, it's the same thing, right? You have to take it all, metabolize it and figure out what to do with it. Um, and figure out how failure fits in and, and what to do with those failures. I think that's, it's good. Yeah. A very controversial conclusion to this podcast. We're getting (laughs) that. Although I
2: think ironically, uh, a very Leninist conclusion too, right? That the, (laughs) the, the assumption is, Yes, you have to metabolize it. And you also need like, you know, certain organizations around you to help you do that. And you need to yeah. kind of figure that out together in the struggle in a unified way in the streets and not just in, I don't know, books or whatever. But, you know, in the context of trade union meetings and hanging out with people in parties and so on and so forth.
0: That's right. Good. OK, it's less controversial now. It's fine. <laughs> we've we've steered we've veered back into uh, good takes only. All right. Uh, Let's talk about the conclusion of this piece and then we can maybe, I don't know, say whatever needs to be said about it. Who knows? We'll see when we get there. So uh, in the conclusion, Maduro says this Latin American liberation theology relativizes Marxism to a mere tool, social analysis and political struggle, values, religion and particularly folk, religious creativity as a meaningful form, both against and beyond capitalism and class oppression. It stresses the need to acknowledge and promote the manifold cultural creativity of the oppressed. It rejects the historical determinism and authoritarianism uh, as contrary to the liberation of the oppressed. And finally, it stimulates the multidimensional character of the uh, Christian-based community. So that's it. That's what he thinks that li- uh, liberation, Latin American liberation theology does to Marxism and how it treats it. Not as like a, a sacred text, uh, not as something that it's like smuggling into church. And now, surprise, you're all Bolsheviks. But instead, something that uh, that that, um, you know, oppressed cultures are critically engaging with, adding to and changing and then like figuring out, you know, in their own in their own particular ways. Um, I think it's a really helpful account of liberation theology. Right. I mean, um, on the one hand, you know, you don't want to listen to conservatives who are just going to tell you that uh, liberation theology is a way that communists infiltrated the church. On the other hand, you don't want to listen to. I mean, I don't know, um, Marxists who tell the same story, but like say that it's good, right? <laughs> but it's something different. It's something different altogether. Uh, it's a way to kind of riff off of Marxism and Christianity and uh, do something a little bit different.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. And I mean, one thing that uh, just kind of I was thinking about reading this, but I felt like it didn't make sense to say at the beginning, but maybe it makes sense to say now is uh the diversity of liberation theology too kind of encourages a way of reviewing how uh, Christianity and liberation theology in, sort of engage Marxism in different registers too. Like, you know, we've talked before with the Maria a million years ago about uh, that essay James Cone wrote, um, the Black Church and Marxism or Marxism in the Black yeah. Church. I forget the exact title, One of but. The two. Yeah, one of those two. Um, But, uh, you know, there you get also an engagement with Marxism, but from a very different context with very different concerns and so on and so forth. Um, And you could say the same about, you know, other liberation theologies, feminist theologies, queer theologies, all these different theological modes that engage Marxism in particular ways with particular interests, even though they're not in, you know, like Maduro is talking about Latin American liberation theology specifically. But I think the the kind of specificity that that line of questioning opens also encourages us to look at other liberation theologies and kind of be like, all right, well, what are they doing with Marxism? I think they do kind of reveal much the same things that he says here, but uh, the way they reveal it is different. And uh, as a result, you know, the conclusions are going to have different efficacy or a different sort of hue to them. And uh, yeah, so all that to say um, there's a lot to kind of keep on thinking about with respect to how a variety of liberation theologies outside of Latin America as well, um, kind of shed light on this, this issue of borrowing and using Marxism.
0: Yeah, I think so. It's a really helpful essay, I think, in that, uh, it it does provide a really good account of the situation of, of the way liberation theology works and, and some, some bigger points too about, um, you know, Marxism and, and maybe, uh, and the way it actually exists rather than just being an orthodox block that you either accept or don't or something. I I really appreciate all of that. It's a, a helpful, uh, way to think about stuff.
2: Yeah. Well, there you have it folks. Liberation theology. Guess what? It's good. Marxism still good. Uh, as long as you can think about it in a healthy way. Healthy is the adjective <laughs> yeah, right. I'm going to use I guess uh, Probably not the best one either But I'll save that for the episode on Foucault um, Alright Thanks everybody for listening to this podcast Once again, if you like what you heard You can find us on Patreon At patreon.com slash themagnificast And toss us a couple of bucks uh, If you have the ability Our music is by Amaria Armstrong Our outro is by The Illogical Spoon And we'll see you next week
1: Keep your hoods up, and you stay up late in Jackson. You Keep your hoods up, well, you keep your hoods up, and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early. At least I would have